Hello, and welcome to this FRDH podcast. I'm Michael Goldfarb. If you want to know America, you have to understand the South. If you want to understand the dynamics that drove events towards the Charlottesville outrage, you have to understand the Southern mind. That mindset did not just pop up the day Donald Trump took office. It has been the driving force in American politics all the way back to the foundation of the Republic. In 2004, I made an hour-long program called A Southern State of Mind. I traveled around the region, and a lot of what I heard then can help explain what is happening now. And in this podcast, you will hear some of the interviews I recorded then. If you live outside of it, the Southern State of Mind, and frankly that's what modern American conservatism is, persists in spite of history. If you are born into it, it persists because of history. One of the best books written about the idea of the American South is The Most Southern Place on Earth. I recommend it highly. Its author is University of Georgia professor emeritus James Cobb. You know, if you look today at socioeconomic, demographic data, the statistical convergence of the South with the rest of the country is quite striking. Yet, most people who come into the South for the first time immediately sense that there is something different about the South still. This sort of immediate perception of the South as a different place from the rest of the United States. You know, the South is given the reputation for being the most hospitable part of the country, but it's also the most homicidal by far. Both those things are, are there, and uh, that's one of the things that makes the South so intriguing. The argument is that we've been set apart from the rest of the nation by the fact that we represent so clearly what's supposed to be the essence of the nation. This strong sense that we are the essence of the nation makes white Southerners a powerful force in American politics, not a majority, but the largest single political bloc in the country. In the century after the Civil War, this bloc was attached to the Democrats. Lincoln was a Republican, and it acted as a drag anchor on the progressive forces that shaped the modern Democratic Party. Superiority is a key part of the white Southern mindset, not just racial, but religious as well. In the 18th and early 19th centuries, the region saw a heavy influx of Protestant immigrants from what is today Northern Ireland, Ulster. In 1948, Hubert Humphrey, the most truly progressive mainstream politician of post-war American history, challenged his fellow Democrats to stand up to the white Southerners in the party and put the Democrats squarely behind a program of ending racial segregation in the South. To those who say that this civil rights program is an infringement on states' rights, I say this, the time has arrived in America for the Democratic Party to get out of the shadows of states' rights and to walk forthrightly into the bright sunshine of human rights. This prompted a walkout of the Southern Democratic delegates led by South Carolina Senator Strom Thurmond. But our ladies and gentlemen, that there's not enough troops in the army to force the Southern people to break down segregation and admit the Negro race into our theaters, into our swimming pools, into our homes, and into our churches. 
Thurman started a new party, the Dixiecrats, but third parties never thrive in America, and slowly but surely the Southern mind began to contemplate the impossible, voting Republican. Emory University professor Merle Black places the real first steps of the White South towards the Republicans in 1964. The first great white switch occurred in 1964 when the Republicans nominated Barry Goldwater as their presidential candidate only months after Goldwater had voted against the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So the Republican Party was no longer the party of Lincoln, it was now the party of Barry Goldwater. And since 1964 in presidential contests in the South, more Southerners, more whites, have voted for the Republican and the Democratic Party candidate. Goldwater lost to Lyndon Johnson, who had already begun pushing a wide range of civil rights legislation, knowing full well that it would cost the Democratic Party the South for a generation. The speed with which it went Republican dazzled young James Cobb. I always say I was uh, 18 years old before I ever saw someone whom I knew to be a Republican. Shortly after my 18th birthday, uh, I found the majority of uh, whites in Georgia were voting for Republican presidential candidates. Then came Ronald Reagan, Merle Black. Reagan realigned the white Southerners who think of themselves as conservatives. were only 40% Republican in 1980. By 1988, they were 60% Republican. Today, they're about 75% Republican. It's, it's very hard to find conservative Democrats left among white voters in the South. Professor Cobb points out Reagan really got Southerners' notice when he gave a 1980 campaign speech in Philadelphia, Mississippi, not far from where civil rights workers James Cheney, Michael Schwerner, and Andrew Goodman had been murdered just 16 years earlier. In 1980, when Ronald Reagan, who's clearly going after the Southern white vote in a big way, opens his campaign in Philadelphia, Mississippi, talking about restoring state rights. He doesn't have to say uh, this means that we're through giving stuff to black people and putting black people over white people. I mean, that's implicit but clear in what he's really saying. White Southerners' values are mutable. Today's Southern conservative small government activists are not averse to big government when they're the beneficiaries. Professor Merle Black. The New Deal was more popular in the South than probably any other part of the country. Part of that was that economic benefits were coming into the South in the way of programs and then direct services and then Social Security begins and all that. But the Southerners, white Southerners, black Southerners, were not paying any taxes at that time. You know, they were too poor to pay taxes. I grew up in a, in a congressional district in northeast Texas and someone did an estimate one time of how many people in the district paid income taxes in the 1930s. And it was about two-thirds of one percent. So, so the New Deal for these Southern whites is literally something for nothing. They love that. That's fine. You know? but, but now it's not that. This working class is being taxed, and that affects the attitudes that they have toward the federal government. They're not bothered very much by inequalities. Well, these white Southerners have never been bothered by inequalities in society, whether they're racial inequalities, but also they're not terribly bothered by inequalities among whites. In 2004, I heard this view echoed at a meeting of the League of the South in Pontotoc, Mississippi. The League of the South had participants at the Charlottesville outrage. And uh, this one's called Shady Grove. We're going to do it the old-fashioned style, which is in a minor key. <laughs> that 
has always distinguished Southerners politically and culturally more is this idea that mankind is not perfectible, there will never be a utopian society, that the best we can do is simply cope with the situation that we find ourselves in. We can't change human nature and we can't create a perfect world. And there's no social movement, there's no government that can do this. And Southerners realize the limits of human endeavor, I think, better than other people do. Among Americans, we're the only people that's ever suffered a major defeat in a war, have been conquered, occupied, had our farms and lands destroyed. And I think collectively we Southerners have a memory, a historical memory that sets us apart. Here again is this sense of, of defeat and uh, having a common enemy that during the course of the war, I think, makes white Southerners into um, something more approximate to a, a nation in the sense of a unified communal existence with a, a certain core set of objectives and values, white Southerners at least, constituted a nation more clearly after the Civil War than, than before it. Again and again throughout American history, if you look at the Scopes trial, the idea was during the 20s that the South was the last bastion of American values. Modernism and relativism and all of these you know, Yankee inventions were ruining the whole country and if you wanted to have a model of what America was supposed to be about, you look to the South. The white Southern mindset is a complicated thing and much more than just racist. Its sense of superiority is based not just on race, but also religious sect and an agrarian worldview, not a cosmopolitan one. It is born of defeat, yet sees itself as the nation. It isn't, of course, but its influence today is at a peak. Its worldview is no longer confined by geography. Through the transmission medium of the Republican Party, it reaches everywhere and has deep connections into the Trump administration. Steve Bannon, Trump's chief ideologue, grew up in Richmond, the former capital of the Confederacy. His water carrier, Stephen Miller, went to Duke University in North Carolina. The pair of them often provide the written words that Trump speaks and, as such, are responsible for the ones he doesn't. When the president reads a statement that blames all sides for the Charlottesville outrage, rather than pinning it squarely on the white supremacists, it's probably Bannon Miller's handiwork. But beyond the Trump White House, the Southern state of mind dominates the Republican Party and has corrupted the name beyond irony. The party of Lincoln is now the party of white supremacy. Simply removing Trump won't remove the mindset from prominence in American life, not as long as the mind of the South dominates the thinking of the party that controls both houses of Congress and most of the governments of the individual states. And that's all for this FRDH podcast. You can hear more, lots more, at the website www.goldfarbpod.com and please make a donation to keep these podcasts coming. Thanks. <laughs>